Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Well, I think we uh, we really covered a lot in that uh, that standard introduction there because we are going to talk about something today for businesses, actually businesses of all sizes, not just small businesses. And um, this is a unique and interesting and I think timely topic. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell back again with another episode of Chicago's Legal Latte. And today, a really interesting conversation as we talk about the Illinois Biometric Privacy Act, which we we touched on when it was first introduced a couple of years ago, but today we're going to start to learn more about how it's being enacted. And to to help us through that is Attorney Tom Fox from Lavelle Law, our first time talking to Tom. So um, first of all, Tom, thanks for taking the time. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation today. Thank you, Jim. It's a big pleasure to be here. So, uh, so much to cover. I'll try and keep my question short, but let's let's start with the Illinois Biometric Privacy Act. What what are the basic features of that? What is it entailed or uh, designed to do? Sure. So, the the Biometric Privacy Act, and we can just call it BIPA for short. It, it's an Illinois law. It was enacted in 2008, and the overall purpose was to protect consumers or employee, employees from the unauthorized use of their biometric data. So, we're talking about one big example are fingerprint scanners that an employee might use to clock in or out of work. Uh, there could be plenty of other examples of personal identifying information like facial recognition is one example that's being used more and more. And as far as the basic tenants, you know, one of the what the gist of the act is that there are certain requirements a company needs to follow in terms of disclosing what it's going to store how it's going to use your biometric information, how it's going to use your fingerprint. It needs your written consent, and there are certain things it needs to do, like maintain a retention policy and then tell people about it. So, for example, how long it's going to keep your fingerprints before deleting it. Usually that's within three years of the last time I collected your data, but either way it has to make a disclosure and it has to make everyone aware of, of how your fingerprints or how any important identifying information from you is going to be used. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one of the things I've learned over the years of, of doing these podcasts with your colleagues, Tom, is that whenever there's a new law introduced, what we find is that uh, the legislature creates the law, but it's really then the courts that help define and shape that law as various parts of it are challenged and questions. I think we have that happening more so now with BIPA. Can you give us some of the key issues that have been litigated in, in BIPA in the last year or two? Yeah, what's interesting about BIPA is it is a little like you mentioned that, it, again, it's a 2008 law, but there wasn't a lot of initial litigation on it for the first few years, and it was really a few years later we started to see a lot of class actions, and that that's key because there are statutory damages of 1,000 or 5,000 per violation, which I'll, I'll talk more about in a bit, but mm-hmm. until recently it didn't make much sense for one person to sue, but once you see these classes and these large and the sharing of costs, we we start to see a lot larger exposure for companies. And you know, since these class actions started, there have been three big issues I want to focus on today. Each of which has a recent Illinois Supreme Court case, and it, it gives a key ruling 
to, to talk about. So the first is called McDonald v. Symphony Brunswick Park. That's about the interplay between BIPA and the Illinois Workers' Comp Act. The second case would be Tim's v. Black Horse Carriers, and that's more about the BIPA statute of limitations or how long you have to sue. And then Cothron v. White Castle is our last case, and that will get more into what exactly is a violation of BIPA and what that means for your deadline to sue and for the damages that companies might face. And I think McDonald is the most recent of of the three, and that's one that um, caught our attention. Talk a little bit about what that case um, brought to life. Sure. So, so McDonald in McDonald, the key issue there is whether employees can make BIPA claims, or if those are barred by the Workers' Comp Act. So, as, as far as some background for our listeners, the Workers' Comp Act was intended to be an exclusive path for an employee to get damages when they suffer an injury at work. And the main intent there was to prevent personal injury lawsuits for employees who, who get physically hurt and move them to workers' comp where it doesn't matter whose fault the injury was. It, it prevents a lot of contention, and it just gets the employees taken care of. The case mm-hmm. here was about whether BIPA falls into that category and, and if employees are, quote-unquote, injured in a way that, that falls under the scope of that act, which if it if it did, it would cut off any private BIPA acts, and it would force all of that into workers' comp. And that's a, a trial, uh, McDonald, that we're talking about that made it to the Illinois Supreme Court. Um, I believe uh, uh, it was fairly consistent finding through each each level of courts in Illinois. But what, what was the outcome? That, that's exactly right. So it went up to the Illinois Supreme Court, and the ruling there was that the Workers' Comp Act did not bar BIPA claims and that they, they could proceed as, as separate actions. And so the reasoning there was we look at the kind of injury that a BIPA violation is, which is a privacy-related injury. An employee, they, they're losing the right to their own integrity of their biometric data. You know, your fingerprint gets out there, there's a leak, there, there's no way you're going to get your privacy back. So that's what the BIPA is meant to safeguard. And it just the Supreme Court just said it, it's really not the same category of injuries that workers' comp is about, like the like the physical injuries I talked about. Again, this is more mm-hmm. specifically intended to protect your privacy rights. Yeah, and it's interesting, I think, when we talked about BIPA in the first place, uh, any type of claim, uh, as you say, physical injury, at least in many cases can be healed or, or remedied. And um, when you're talking about privacy, if someone steals a credit card, it can be replaced. But when you're talking about someone's fingerprint or facial recognition, uh, once it's out, there, there's just nothing else that can be done about it, which is really what um, has many people concerned and uh, really makes it interesting. Now let, let's talk, uh, because I really want to get to all these, talk about TIMS, because with many cases, different types of law, we have statute of limitations. Um, I believe that's what Tim's, as you said, uh, v. Black Horse Carriers dealt with. Exactly. So Tim's is a a little interesting because we had an appellate court ruling and then a Supreme Court ruling that altered that. So the the first ruling at the intermediate court level actually split up the different types of BIPA claims and said that some have a one-year deadline to sue and some have a five-year deadline. So that kind of created an interesting patchwork where, uh, you know, as an example, uh, injury involving the publication of your fingerprint would be a one-year cutoff, but failing to maintain a 
retention policy or, or get consent would be a five-year. And so what the Supreme Court did was it, it actually overruled that and said, you know what, any type of BIPAC claim, it's going to be a five-year deadline and we're going to keep things consistent. So there's the big effect there is it, it really effectively settles one area of dispute that was being litigated because now we have an Illinois Supreme Court decision saying anything BIPA-related, you, you've got five years to sue. And the only way that can change at this point now is either for the Illinois Supreme Court to revisit it, for the federal Supreme Court to do so, or if the Illinois State Legislature or the Illinois State Legislature amends the act itself to effectively you know, codify its own statute of limitations. But for now, we're, we're at that five-year exposure period. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things here is that uh, after these rulings, then the legislature can take a look and redefine laws. We're, get, we're getting as much information as we can about the Illinois Biometric Privacy Act today from Attorney Tom Fox at Lavelle Law, um, really detailed. And, and Tom has written uh, an article on this that you can find at LavelleLaw.com among several other great articles that he's written, uh, provides great content. So always recommend to stop at LavelleLaw.com to dig a little bit more into some of these details. But do what we can with the time allotted here on the podcast. And, Tom, I, I know you mentioned three, so Kasran is, is the last of the cases, and what does that add to the discussion? So Kasran may, in fact, be the, the most explosive case out there because it, it sets the role in a way that could be – that could present enormous legal risk for employers. And so the, the, the core ruling was that violation – which is a statutory term, was defined by that court. And so the, the ruling there was that any time an employer collects a fingerprint constitutes a separate violation of BIPA. So the argument the, the, the argument the White Castle wanted to make was that it's really just the first time they collect a fingerprint, that's their violation, and, and that not only sets the statute of limitations, but that's their damages. So each so in a class action of multiple employees, each one faces that one thousand or five thousand dollar statutory damage that I outlined. Um and certainly that could be a lot for big class, but now the rule is that any time somebody clocks in or out, any time they scan their fingerprints, that itself is a violation and that creates basically multiple damages multiple instances of that 1000 or 5000 that we're talking about. So just to clarify there if an employee uses their fingerprint to to check into work each day or maybe even after each break every single time they do that is potentially a, a violation under this the way that Cothron has has been ruled. Exactly and and what's interesting is the court noted that and this this was a highly contentious decision by the Illinois Supreme Court it was actually a, a 4 to 3 split. But the court noted that the, there is enormous risk here for an employee employer like White Castle, where based on the amount of the class, which was about 9,000, the total risk to White Castle was around the $17 billion range. So this ruling is huge, especially when you talk about larger employees and the potential for these enormous class sizes. So... Tom, I know you do a lot of work with uh, companies of all sizes uh, at LaBelle Law and certainly uh, do your best to guide them and provide information. So with what we're learning from these cases and what you know of 
Bipa today, what are some of the steps that employers should be taking to make sure that they're staying aligned with what the, the rulings now call for? Well, the the biggest takeaway is that while you know, Bipa was something a lot of companies ignore, it just it, it frankly is almost impossible to ignore these kind of rulings, and and employers ignore that at their peril. It, it might have been it might have been easy to ignore the 2008 law back when it was enacted, but now we have these big rulings, we have this large exposure that employers face, and even a smaller employer now, with based on this ruling, could face a large claim. So, for example, you you've got you've only got a couple employees, they work a hundred days, that could potentially be a five thousand dollar award for each employee. So this isn't something that you can ignore now, and it's imperative that you make sure you're compliant with FIPA, you make sure you have consent for your employees, and you make sure that you have a retention policy, and you make sure that you're safeguarding biometric data if if you're doing it, if you're taking fingerprints, if you're taking facial recognition, and you just need to be very careful that you're in compliance with this act. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly one of the other things I know we've talked about many times has been employee handbooks, how those should be updated every year. Um, As we talk to employers is the management of, of uh, biometric information and data. Is that something that is, uh, well spelled out in employee handbooks these days, or should be? Absolutely, and in our experience, you, you typically want to add that as, as a section in your handbook. You certainly want to make sure the employees all get a copy of that once they start and they, they get a copy of any updates to the handbook, and most importantly, you want to make sure they sign off on that so you have that documentation in place. Well, um, as I mentioned, uh, Tom, you've written some great articles that can be found at LavelleLaw.com, and I think a conversation like this just prompts employers to think about it, and they're going to have questions. Um, what is the best way to get a hold of you or your colleagues over at Laval Law if they want to have a conversation and, and learn more about what they should or shouldn't be doing? Sure. So, so our our phone number is eight four seven seven zero five seven five five five. We we pride ourselves on always being available to clients and potential clients and and anytime you call in you you speak to an attorney you can certainly ask to speak to me specifically and I'm always available we we do free consults I'm always happy to talk about whatever situation you may face so for example any biometric data or any threats of lawsuits Um, but certainly this is something that as an employer you want to get ahead of. Tom Fox, uh, Lavelle Law, thanks so much for being with us. Hope we're going to get a chance to talk to you again. Um, Really great conversation. And, again, LavelleLaw.com for information, podcasts, articles. It's all there, LavelleLaw.com. Thanks for joining us today.